Hello, friends. On today's episode of Life After High School, I sit down with Mr. Kevin Slow Jam and James. He's the original Slow Jam on Snoop Dogg's Cadillac Music, live Sunday to Friday, 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. Pacific time. You can hear him by going to dashradio.com slash Cadillac. Now, in this episode, wow, we talk about a lot. Kevin gives a whole story on his upbringing to how he did his stint in the Army to why he chose to become a play-by-play announcer, to being a radio DJ, to impacting so many people's lives throughout his career. And just from all of that, to what I learned, to the stories that he tells, this is a phenomenal episode. I had a blast learning and listening to him. And without further ado, Mr. Kevin Slowjam and James, please enjoy. It's the Life After High School Podcast. Kevin, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate it. Not that I know exactly what the show is, but I know you, so I know it's good. Oh, fantastic. And I, hopefully I don't embarrass this episode. Well, I'm sure you won't, but now I feel like I have pressure on me to live up to <laughs> that now. now. It's even now, but awesome. So... For people who don't know, tell us a bit of a life story about you, how you kind of ended up here, and uh, just tell us a bit about yourself. Well, Kevin James is my name. My radio name is Kevin Slow Jamming James. Grew up in Pennsylvania, tried to make it professionally in baseball. Uh, some arm problems uh, curtailed that, went into the Army. Then I said, how can I be close to sports without actually playing? Aha. Uh-huh. I said, I'll be a play-by-play announcer. For those in Canada, I couldn't do hockey because I, I don't understand it. But I wanted to do baseball or football play-by-play. But as I started out in radio, it was you just get what you can get. No matter what the format is, you start radio. And I did that in Maryland, in Frederick, Maryland. And I worked for a station that had all different kinds of music. I did a little rock and roll. Uh, type show. Then uh, I ended up in Washington, D.C. And the radio thing became a challenge because of my style, which is very low-key and, you know, mm-hmm. unobtrusive. Uh, program directors, the general manager said, you'll never make it because you don't sound like a DJ. Well, I agree with him. I don't sound like a DJ. But then I took that as a compliment, but they did not mean it as a compliment. Uh, they said, you're not going to make it because that's not how DJ sounded. So for those that uh, are not, I mean, everybody's familiar with what a DJ is. But back in the day, the DJs all sounded more like, you probably have never been to a strip club. But um, there you go. That, <laughs> that, 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 that spoke volumes. Anyway, <laughs> you know. Like they have the announcers at the street club. Hey, then I'll stay. Yeah, that's how DJs back in the day when I was growing up uh, listening to radio. And then they, to a certain degree, that they still kind of shout at you mm-hmm. instead of having a conversation like this is. To me, that's how radio should be. The only difference is you're conversing with somebody that doesn't see you. Okay. Anyway, in 1984, I came up with the name. Slow Jam from Midnight Star Slow Jam on uh, their album from 1983. And I worked for Donnie Simpson, and I would think a lot of people, if not most of you that are 
watching and listening. Know Donnie from either DC radio or know him from the first video DJ ever on BET. He is my program director and he said, why don't you name your show instead of just being Kevin James? So I came up with the name Slow Jam. So all these years later, Slow Jam. But then, being just Kevin James, I went, Slow Jam, Kevin. My brain actually worked for a minute. I went, Kevin, Slow Jam and James. So I nice. created that moniker, mm -hmm. and here we are today uh, with a name. So it worked for uh, Donnie and you know, others in st other stations also. But uh, 1990, I moved to Los Angeles. I'd given up on radio because they uh, lowered my salary to almost poverty level. So for those of you who think that DJs make a lot of money, some do, most don't. So I went to Los Angeles to do voiceover and had a voiceover agent uh, named Maurice Tobias that said, hey, here's a radio station, kind of like the station you work for in DC, WKYS called The Beat. Well, I started listening to The Beat and I had some issues because they did a nighttime show uh, a quasi-slow jam show called Night Beat. They were playing the usual suspects. It was all the familiar names back then, Anita Baker, Whitney Houston, Luther Vandross. Then they played a short version of uh, Always in Favor by Heat Wave. Okay, yeah. Well, I said, I never heard of a short version. Anyway, to make a long story, it's not a, it's never going to be a short story, so yeah, we do have five hours to do this, right? But, yeah, uh, 100%. Leave as long as it takes. <laughs> uh, I called the radio station. I was living in Hollywood. And I said, hey, you played the short version of Always and Forever. And I ended up somehow talking to the general manager. They said, we've been looking for the long version for a long time. I said, I have it. Can I bring it over? Los Angeles is huge. Turns out the station was walking distance from where I was living in Hollywood. So I take the CD over there. Uh, I come back three days later, and they said, uh, no listeners ever brought us music to play on the radio before. Thank you. I said, no problem. Whatever you need, I got it. And she said, because I just said my name, Kevin. And uh, she said, what is your last name? I said, let me check my ID. Uh, Kevin James. Then uh, he said, she said, he's, he's, the same Kevin James that worked in Washington, D.C. I said, yeah, because they're looking for work. And me, with my great intelligence, said no. <laughs> so I go home to where I was living, and it blocks, you know, what, maybe uh, nine blocks away. Yeah. I got into my little apartment, and I was collecting unemployment at the time. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, my God, I just got offered a radio job in one of the biggest radio markets in the world, and I said, no thanks. I felt really stupid. Yeah. But I didn't want to call right back, because then I would have been admitting my stupidity. So I waited a few days, and I called back Smart. and said, hey, uh, you know, this sounds a little tempting. I went over there, uh, the PD was Mike Strafford, who ended up using uh, his career working with uh, Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. But he was PD at the time. He said, what are you looking for? I have a note from my producer. 
they'll be right back, which means we're alone. She ain't coming back. Uh, so it was, it was a great opportunity to go on the radio. He said, what are you looking for? I said, well, I've always done a Sunday night show. And he said, that's exactly what we're looking for. So I started working Sunday nights. Because I was playing rare music, to me it was normal what I normally play, the hard to find songs. But these were songs not being played in LA. My program director and, and people at the station were furious with me because you're not playing our music, the hits. But all of a sudden, the street word got out. Hey, and all of a sudden, the show just blew up. I changed the name for a while called The Love Affair. It was on 92.3 The Beat. Yeah. They changed uh, the format to uh, True to the Street. And it wasn't like uh, like an urban station. Mm -hmm. And they fired everybody, except me. No they brought in all these DJs from San Francisco, John London and the House Party, uh, Dennis Cruz, uh, Diana Steele, oh. Theo, Julio G. All these people came down from San Francisco to replace all the DJs. But they kept me. But they didn't mean to keep me for long. And they said, um, we trust you because your reputation says that you won't go on the radio and, and bat about this because you know you're going to be fired. I said, no problem. I'll work for you. They had like a meeting in the beginning to change this format. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even invited to the meeting, so I pretty much knew what my, my destiny was going to be yeah. or that outcome. But it kind of went on for a week, another two weeks. And the program director, Keith Knapp, they kept saying, I have no idea what you're doing. But somehow I'd like, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to keep you. I don't think so, but let's, let's let this thing ride out. At the same time, Easy e of NWA yeah. uh, was working there, had a show called the Ruthless Radio Show. Oh, and yeah. also he was helping mixers back then. That's kind of when all these mixes started happening. And that was, I can't remember the exact year, uh, somewhere in the early 90s, the mid-90s. Anyway, there's another story preceding that. Can we do another episode? I'll tell you about Easy E. Yeah, absolutely. Who, I, who, I, can... who, who, who I'd never met before, but the story was not good because I didn't like him. That's oh. I was back east. I didn't like what he did on this interview show. But I'll tell you the whole story later. Okay, uh, sounds good. Easy E goes into the program director and said, hey, uh, I don't know what you're going to do with Kevin James, but he needs more radio time. So Easy E saved my radio career in L.A. and wow. basically saved my career, period. Easy E. Then the story, which I'll tell you later, I told him that story. I said, I didn't like you. I saw you on TV. I didn't understand this. I didn't think it was, I can't believe you're telling me this. You didn't like me. I said, no. I said, but I love you now. <laughs> I said, does that count for something? Yeah, he says, that counts for everything. Everything. Unreal. <laughs> so we became friends, but unfortunately, we know what happened. Now. Yeah. Those circumstances, I don't know. It's very odd. I mean, I saw him not every day, but, you know, several times a week. There was no indication that he had AIDS. Yeah. There was no deterioration that I saw really? of him physically, you know, or all those other uh, Symptoms, symptoms I, I, I didn't yeah. see it. 
But anyway, you know, he passes away. Then the next part of my career, as I started to learn, I was embraced by the rap and hip hop community, not the R&B community. They didn't, they didn't care about me. Huh. Uh, Martin Lawrence and his sister in Washington, D.C., before he came out to California, used to listen to me every weekend. And they would make requests every weekend. Wow. Ray Lawrence, which is uh, Martin's sister, called and said, hey, uh, Martin and I want to hear this. So anyway, as we know, the Martin Lawrence show, he goes out to L.A., the Martin show becomes a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, he invites me over uh, one day. It was around Christmas time. They were filming a Martin show. He said, why don't you just come, up, come on by? I said, I'll do it. <laughs> the funny thing is, the day before that taping, I saw Snoop Dogg uh, on TV with Arsenio Hall. If you get a chance, please, all of you, look up that episode of Snoop Dogg and Arsenio Hall. Arsenio. It was enlightening. It was, hey, I saw somebody just walk, ran through your door. Is it okay? Hmm? Oh, yeah. Somebody just ran through that door. Yeah, all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, just look that up, uh, whatever year it was, but Arsenio Hall, Snoop Dogg interview. Brilliant. And as his custom with Snoop, he just told the truth. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, about women. Back then, uh, there was a women's organization, I forget the name of it, uh, they were trying to ban rap. Uh, and to make a long story short, a little excerpt, I'll give you a little excerpt of the show. When uh, Arsenio said, what about the, I think it was National Organization of Women now. Mm -hmm. So what about, what about them? He says, the hell with those hoes. Well, then Arsenio goes, <gasps> the audience goes, <gasps> back then, that's pretty controversial. Yeah. Okay. Next day, we have this thing. Uh, the Martin uh, taping, and after the taping, they had like a little Christmas party, a little finger food and stuff like that, right on the set. So I'm just standing there, and I'm, I'm looking like, a, see, I'm looking at you now. I went, I go like this. I go, I saw somebody in the corner all by themselves on a director's chair, just sitting there like, I said to myself, hey, that's Snoop Dogg. I walk up to him. Of course. And he says, uh, hey, I said, hey, I said, I know you're just chilling. I didn't want to bother you, but I just wanted to say hi. And he goes, do I know you? I said, no, you don't. He goes, yeah, I do. You're Kevin Slow Jamming James. No kidding. He was a, the beat back then was not only number one in LA or number two, but it was mm -hmm. like one of the biggest stations in the world. Yeah. Wow. And uh, he says, the next thing he says, you got some shit I need. I said, what do you need? And he rattled off songs, Lenny Williams, Because I Love You, blah, blah, blah. music he didn't have. Back then, keep in mind, this is early 90s. Yeah. We didn't have the capability of just getting music offline and all, you know, all, right, all these yes. different uh, ways of you know, downloading and all that. And some of it was illegal, whatever. It wasn't good quality. Make a long story short, it wasn't really easy to find music back then. Okay. I said, I'll make you, at that time, I made a DAP, a digital audio tape. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was like the standard in studios. They recorded on DAC, right. DAP. Oh. 
the size of, that's, that's how big a dat was. Wow. So I go home that night. He'd give me his phone number. Uh, next day I called Snoop. I said, I got the, I got the music for you. He says, great. Want to meet today? I said, yeah, I'm open. Nice. Then he says, can I come to the station? I went, uh-oh. I said, I don't want you to think I'm doing you a favor for a favor in return. You know, I'm just giving you this music. I'm afraid if you go to the radio station, they're going to go, hey, it's Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Do uh, uh, Go on the radio with the, the nighttime person who at that time was Lisa Canning. Uh, record this, record that. I said, I don't want you to think that, that uh, I want anything out of this. He goes, no, I've never been to the station. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So I called the program director, still uh, Keith Nathalie. I said, hey, can I bring Snoop Dogg by? All of a sudden, there was silence. On the other end of the phone, and he's gone. He comes back in the front and goes, you're talking about the Snoop Dogg. I go, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, you know if there is another. He says, oh, how do you know him? I said, I know him. You're going to bring him here to the, to the beat. I go, yeah. He says, we've been trying for a year and a half to get him over here. And you're going to bring him here? I said, yep, yeah, 10.30 wow. tonight. Sure enough, 10.30 rolls around. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, they put him on a radio with uh, Lisa Canning, who uh, did a show called Night Beat. And, but, you know, it, it was very pleasant. Not many people there. It was mm -hmm. uh, very pleasant until until all of a sudden somebody came in and broke down the gate to the beat. It was one of these big, heavy metal gates. So who would you think would break down a gate? Yeah, you're right. Shouldn't I? You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. He broke the gate because he was mad at Snoop because Snoop didn't tell him that he was coming to the radio station. Oh, no. So they come in and... They, uh, my memory's a little foggy, but I think they went in another room and there, there was some loud, loud talk. Yeah. And then he came out and said, man, you okay, what did I do? He said, don't worry about it. That's a should be and should. <laughs> so anyway, it all went, it went great. Uh, oh Shug and I, I can't say we became friends, but I did record the cassettes and stuff for him. Uh, never had ever an unpleasant uh, encounter with Shook Knight nice. because I was embraced by everybody mm. uh, from the dog bound. Nice. Then the next, do you have any questions around? I'm just going to rattle. Oh, on. no, this is perfect. My questions are going to come up. They're going to come out as they go. I have a few like things I want to touch on, but we'll get to that. Okay. I love this. This is so cool. Then, um, Snoop and I became really good friends. Yeah, I lived up uh, in the Hollywood Hills in a, in a mansion, but I only paid $600 rent for like what would be called like a basement apartment. You know, I had seven roommates oh. right underneath the Hollywood sign. It was, it was beautiful, it was, but it was like the smallest rooms, all concrete, but I could look out my little tiny window and see the, the, the Hollywood sign. There were three houses inside this enclave of three mansions. The one next to me, not the, not the middle one, the one after that, uh, there was a guy, I'm going to make this story out a little bit, because uh, this guy 
says, hey, uh, Kevin, I know you you record sometimes at your house. I go, yeah. If you want to call it a house, you know, my little dungeon in the basement. Goes, yeah. He said, uh, you know, I have a, a grunge band. And sometimes we rehearse. I just want to make sure, just to let you know when I'm rehearsing. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm in a concrete jungle. Nothing comes through those walls. He said, you go ahead. So that guy, I stretched out. Keanu Reeves. That was my neighbor. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. And, you know, oh, I see man. him from time to time. He was so pleasant, so down to earth, so, nice. uh, uh, what's the word I want to look for? You know, unassuming. Really? He come by, he rode his, his uh, I don't know if he had a car. I always saw him on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And uh, he go by, hey, you know, so that was my neighbor. Things like that sometimes happen in L.A. Well, uh, then I had met Snoop, and uh, maybe a few days, I can't remember the, the time frame, mm-hmm. but he would come up there to where I live, way up in the hills. And uh, we'd stand outside, look at the Hollywood sign, and we would just talk. This was 26 years ago. Wow. And like I said, I maybe had only known him uh, a short period of time, because when I met him, he was going through... Uh, trials and tribulations you can read what i'm saying and it was important to him that i you know he had just met me that i that i feed him music because that was his savior during the time because um um, he said i'm trying to be strong for my family because you know uh, kind of the center of it right now he says i'm worried but I have to stay strong. This music is going to really help me. So he, during that time, he was wearing some ankle jewelry, you know. Yep. And I, and turned out he ended up living, and I had uh, moved uh, from the, the Hollywood place to a place called Tuluga Lake, and then uh, turned out he was renting an apartment like four blocks away. So anyway, make a long story short, I stayed loyal to him, even though I barely knew him. Mm-hmm. He would talk to my mom on the phone, and she'd say, son, I read some stuff about this man. But if he's a friend of yours, he's okay with me. That's awesome. So they would have a great conversation. But that's how I met Snoop. Then, uh, once again, I can't give you the time frame, but I could probably look it up. Uh, Snoop invites me into a studio, and I think it was over in North Hollywood. Uh, he said, we're recording. I said, I've never been to a recording studio. Oh, wow. Come on over. So I'm sitting there, smoke everywhere, dogs everywhere, people everywhere, music that sounded like a jet engine. I went, oh, my God, I like this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sitting there. Let's look I'm right now. I'm going like this. Let's look around. He says, KJ. He says, KJ, I go, why don't you drop on the end of this song? Me going, I don't know. I said, what song? He goes, the one that's playing. I said, I, said, Snoop, I don't know what's playing. He said, it's called Smooth. I said, okay. So it wasn't a booth. There was actually just a mic. Uh, stand up, uh, you know, floor mic thingy. Mm-hmm. And he says, step up to the mic. 
so I go to the mic. Now his voice is going from just asking to being a little bit agitated. Yeah. I said, what do you want me to say? He says, you're an effing DJ. Say something. That scared me. So the first thing that came out of my mind was I said, I got to say something, and I got to say it quick. Hi. I'm Kevin Slow, Jim and James from 92.3 The Beat. Man, this shit sounds smooth. Give me an application. I'm switching up. I want to work for W Balls. He said, okay. I said, okay, what? He goes, you're done. That was that quick. No second take, no. And I goes, that's it. Uh, so months, three months go by maybe, and the album hadn't come out yet. And the reason is, go back to the Arsenio Hall thing and the now organization they were really fighting the, the industry. They wanted uh, labels. Up until then, I don't think there was any warning uh, labels, you know, like they do for movies, right? But they didn't have it for CDs. Well, that was what they were trying to figure out. Eventually, the album comes out. I don't know when it came out. I walk through the studios, the beat, and a guy who became really famous in LA radio Theo says, hey, I heard you on the Dog Pound album. I said, what? What album? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even sure I remember when I was recording that that was the Dog Pound, the Das and Corrupt, you know, was being produced by Snoop. I, yeah. said, I said, seriously, I'm on it? Sure enough, I was on there. It was exactly how I said it, you know? I mean, it was just like, that's what I love about our rap and hip-hop artists. They could be in a studio and all of a sudden everything would be just like, hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Him, uh, DJ Quick, uh, Dre, all those people. Amazing how they are able to incorporate samples or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. or in that case, I was there. Hey, they decided to do skits. W Balls consisted of three announcers. Uh, Ricky Harris, who was an actor, rapper, great guy. He passed away a few years ago. He was DJ Easy Dick. He was the one that did all the, the wild stuff. Then, uh, at least on the, that album, was DJ Pooh, who, uh, if you don't know, look up, was one of the great producers of all time. Also, he wrote and directed the movies Friday. Oh, wow. So he was uh, doing an impersonation of Barry White on that, that track. And then the other one is me. So there hasn't been a lot of official members of W Balls. Side note, I, I, I called my mom. I said, hey, I'm on a, an album. She goes, what do you mean? I'm talking on a CD. She goes, What's a CD? I said, oh boy. I said, I'll send you a, a, a CD player. It's like your cassette player you have, mm -hmm. but it's just a different form. And I said, I'll walk you through it. And then I'll send, you're gonna send me that, that album you're on? I go, I don't know. I don't know if I should. Because I'm your mother. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I send it to her. A couple days later, I call her. And you know the language on the dog bound is yeah. as offensive as maybe any album that's ever been recorded. Oh, yeah. She goes, I heard the album. She said, this is an older woman. 
She goes, older white woman did that. She goes, I kind of like it. She goes, but son, you said shit. And I'm thinking, that's the most, definitely the most mild word ever used on that album. And then I thought about it, and then I said, you know, mom, it's what us rappers do. It's what us rappers do. Unreal. <laughs> and uh, so we left that at that, you know, but it, it's amazing resilience from an older woman that, you know, knows nothing about music, period, let alone rap music. But, but she knows people. She, she loves Snoop and, you know, all the trouble he went through. That didn't sway her opinion because she trusted my opinion of uh, who I accept as a, as a friend. Anyway, that easy Snoop. Then uh, everybody came through the beat back in those days. I mean, you, mm -hmm. any artist, every artist. Uh, and to me, I, you know, you're young, so I don't know where 90s rap falls into your wheelhouse. Uh, it's, more, to what we it's more of a nostalgic thing for me. Right now, when I can look back and go like, because I have friends of mine and all that, when we saw the uh, Straight Out of Compton documentary, um, and like looking into all of what happened between the Tupac and Biggie and everything that happened there, and then watching documentaries and then discovering actually my little brother's really like really into it a lot, like more than I am, and growing up with him and like uh, we listen to like songs back and forth. We listen like old vinyls just in his room, sit down, have a couple beers yeah. and just listen to all the music play out, let the whole like record go. And so it's, it brings back, it brings back definitely like memories from like five, seven years ago for sure. But today's rap, I don't know what it is, but it's obviously very different than very the way it was. So we won't get into that. Uh, speaking straight out of Compton, I would go to, it's actually called Can-Am Studios in Tarzana, California. Mm -hmm. But it's also called Death Row Records. Yeah. I would be there probably twice a week. Snoop would call me. Snoop is a man that his brain works really well at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. So guess who got calls at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning? Oh, yeah. Kevin, you got this. Remember one time it was Shirley Jones. Do you get enough love? So he already had a a plan. He goes, do you have that song? I said, yeah. Can you bring it over? That started all of this uh, different music or he wanted me to record uh, different um, uh, drops or skits. By the way, that song, Do You Get Enough uh, Love, turned out to be Smoking Up Blood. Instead of Do You, Do You Get Enough Love? Yeah. Do You, Do You Smoke Enough Blood? Yeah. Unreal. Uh, then I would go there uh, He'd call me at the last minute to, you know, to record this, record that. They never charge me because, and to this day, uh, whoever asked me to do a, a skid, a drop, I do it for free. That's my way of, that's part of my industry, of part of my respect for the music. The funny thing is, no R&B person has ever asked me to do anything. And you know, and I'm on two uh, tracks on Nate Dogg's album. Uh, corrupts out anyway it goes on and on but every time i went there it's funny there was only one consistent thing that i always saw i'd be leaving and to my right would be this big studio and i would just peek in there because the door was usually open mm -hmm. 
and there was a, a figure of, of a man, but I mean, the, the control board was so big, right? Yeah. I almost, I said, I said, hey, he goes, hey, Ed, come on in, Kev. I said, you're busy. Maybe another time. I said the same thing every time. That was Dr. Dre. Oh, wow. So every time I was there, he was in his studio. And that's where the first time and only time I met Tupac was at uh, Can-Am Studios nice. or uh, Defo Records. But when they showed the scene in uh, Straight out of Compton, they had a whether they filmed it there or just recreated it, there was a couch, like a round couch, you know, big couch. And, and in the movie, you saw the, you know, all the rappers and associated people sitting there. And that brought back such a deja vu for me. Because when I went there and I came, I'd be looking exactly at that. All them dogs and Rottweilers and pit bulls. It was good. I love that place. But that's my stories as far as uh, radio, how I got into it. Mm -hmm. Can I do a plug for my show? Oh, 100%. Hi. I'm Kevin Slow Jam and James. The, the show <laughs> is the original Slow Jam because I created it. It's on Snoop Dogg's Cadillac Music. Dash Radio is the platform. There's like 80 stations. Yeah, you write that down. You write that down? Yes, sir. I, I see what you're doing. Always. <laughs> Always. Oh, got my notes. Uh, see, hey, where's my pen? Do you have your. Where's, where's our pen? Oh, no. Oh, can, can, when do you get a chance? Uh, okay, right on. Uh, what were we just saying? I interrupted myself and I forgot what I was saying. Dash Radio, the platform. The, oh, that was an important thing. So, Dash Radio has like 80 stations, no commercials. So, when you. I don't know how to compare, but you have like Apple Music, Apple, and then you have Dash, then you have your Spotify and Pandora and the associated type of things that people uh, watch or listen to. And I promote that radio, my shows live six nights a week. And I think uh, there, there's a big difference live radio compared to these people doing these shows on the internet and it's all mm -hmm. you know they're playing music through a little tiny speaker through your little tiny no, this is real radio uh i think spotify you, you know you create your own playlist so you kind of know what's coming up mm -hmm. but the magic of radio has always been you don't know what's coming up next you know it's a surprise right until radio got really programmed which by the way, most of you, I don't know how it is in Canada. I would think it's the same here. Yeah. Uh, this has been going on for 30 years at least. As soon as a computer got into a radio station, the DJ took a back seat. Mm -hmm. So then that gave the opportunity to the music programmers, uh, national music directors, or whoever, that came up with the, the dreaded playlist. DJs today, and it's been that way a long time, have no say-so what they play. It's on a written log so they can see, no. but it's on their computer. That song will, is already going to play. Yeah. And when I worked in San Diego, they said, you know what? If you change the order of a song, you'll get fired. That's how strict they are. Wow. Everything has to be played. Like you're also, gone. Here's another little, a little trick in radio. Not a trick, but uh, it's the way radio is. I don't care what station you listen to. You'll never hear more than two songs in a row 
because between Psalm 2 and Psalm 3, there's some type of talk, either the DJ saying something, what they call a music sweeper. That's not how I do radio. Sometimes I'll play music for 45 minutes in a row without an interruption. Because, uh, and that's what sets apart what we're doing on uh, Snoop's uh, Dash Radio or Snoop Dogg's Cadillac Music on Cadillac Dash Radio. Right. But this is the future. Uh, as soon as, and now, think about the ratings of uh, radio stations. People listen usually when they're in their car. Well, guess what? Because of the quarantine, they're not in the car. I mean, you have a radio at home you can tune into? Yep, two of them. Wow. You're yeah. the exception, not the rule. But, you know, and I understand you can stream a radio station. You stream what they do already, which is play the same song yeah. over and over and uh, commercials. Anyway, we're, we offer something different. Is it better? I believe so, but that's up to you. Goes Cadillac Music, Dash Radio. I'm on that. Now, you're uh, in Canada. That would yes. be at 8, 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. on uh, 5 p.m. till 10 p.m. my time. And that's Sunday to Friday? Yeah, to Sunday through Friday. Sunday I'm off Friday, on Saturday. Right. But you know why I'm not off today? Why? Because I'm here. Nice. <laughs> Got the man of the hour in the house for this. This is perfect. And, and, and I wanted to do this, you know, yeah, because, I appreciate uh, our mutual friend um, recommended you. And I said, he's such a great guy. I said, you can't be bad. So it turns out you're not so bad. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Okay. You had a, a few questions. We can do that. Yeah. So uh, one thing on, to touch on to what you were saying with radio, I find it's tricky nowadays that there's not many personalities left in radio. And that could be like the seven stations I listen to, but it's a lot of sometimes just those radio hosts put like plugging a lot of different like real estate companies or small businesses, which I'm all for promoting small businesses and supporting local. It just, sometimes it doesn't come off as authentic as it should. And then there's less of a personality to connect to. And then people find radio, at least uh, the couple stations that I know of in our city is a uh, very uh, tough to listen to. Cause like you said, they don't like it's one song and then seven minutes of advertisements and then another song. So Hold on, hold on. Kind of goes with that. Hang on. Oh, here we go. <laughs> now we're talking. Seven, hold on, seven stations. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we have seven stations in this uh, city, and okay. there's four different uh, hosts, and it's not uh, not the greatest. So um, I'm by all means going to let people know that Dash Radio is where to go. Let me answer your question. Okay. Uh, it's the same everywhere. Your seven stations are representative of stations. Uh, I can only speak for the United States because I live in the United States. Uh, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, there are several factors. Number one, uh, syndicated shows. So all of a sudden, your morning shows got replaced by one person working out of one city, whether it's Steve Harvey or you know people that are known for morning shows. So that squeezed out the local DJ. Then the radio stations became so intent on the musical content, which is repetitive crap. Uh, they sometimes, if not most cases, tell the DJ what to say. So they don't have time to say the name of the station, their name. So the, you're right. The personality is gone. 
a lot of that has been squeezed out by the programmers and the rest are maybe people who haven't the way I feel like how rap has come you know it's just mm -hmm. not the same as it used to be and that personalities on a radio uh, aren't allowed to I guess develop a personality or maybe they don't have a personality to start with but that's completely lacking when I came out to LA I mean you had legendary uh, DJs um, mm -hmm. people that I knew growing up you know on the east coast I'm going like uh, Shotgun Kelly and people like that. I mean, like, wow. Then here we are to today, other than the, in LA, Big Boy and Ryan Seacrest, I cannot name another DJ uh, that uh, personality, personality. Yeah. Now, if some of my friends are listening. I, there, there are some people that do what I do, and I don't consider myself a personality. My music is a personality. Right. But personality, personality, how radio you tune in. Not only for just the music, tune in for that person, male or female or whatever, because they were funny, they did whatever, it didn't have to be skits. And, and then also, in conjunction with being on the radio, I'm very big about going out into the community. That's why if people know me, it's because they've seen me, not just heard me. And that was uh, not a, a game plan, just to gain listeners. I felt like it was my uh, civic duty to service the, the audience. And also I had uh, CD collections, slow jams, the timeless collection. There was always things that, you know, I, I thought could enhance uh, the, the listening. Nice. And uh, that has kind of ceased too, because you have a, a syndicated show by, let's say, Steve Harvey. He's in LA now. Yeah. He's not going to show up at your local Walmart because they're in LA. That was the beauty of local radio stations, the personalities. Hey, come, we're going to be at the bowling alley today, whatever. And then that thing that do you play with the sticks up there, we call Mini sticks, hockey? Hockey, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, mini sticks. Oh, that's some, uh, that's like we have like these little small plastic sticks you play with your kids oh, no, in your no, living no. room. No. But... I, I was trying to be funny because hockey, by the way, is very big. And, yeah, okay. It was high, hockey. On, on, a, on this side of the border. But, uh, DJs have been squeezed out. Now you factor in the, the pandemic, epidemic. Mm -hmm. Then the DJs are what they call uh, voice tracking. That's another thing. Even though they do live shows, when I worked in San Diego, they practiced their microphone breaks and recorded them. I go, why are you here live if you're just playing it recorded? Oh, It'd be wow. like, you know, I talked to you yesterday and you said, hey, let's go over the question. You want to go over the questions? I said, no. Because then it doesn't sound like a real conversation because it sounds like you're reading from a list. Like, let's say you had a white pad in front of you and a pen and yeah. just going like, mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. Oh, just like that. Yeah, mean. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what's your other questions? That's a good piece of advice actually for even myself. Wow. Um, so you received, I can imagine many calls in your day while being on the radio, right? That'd be fair mm -hmm. to say. Do you have one that stood out to you? that stuck with you through all these years? So many. Uh, I'm going to tell you the one that impacted me the most. Nice. I worked at a station called WPGC. Mm -hmm. Called their, themselves WPGC because they were WPGC. And uh, I couldn't tell how old the person was, but somebody was calling me every night. I was working 
midnight till six in the morning. Mm-hmm. I get these calls two, three o'clock in the morning. And turned out this guy would be calling every night. His name was Ted. And we just had a friendship uh, over the radio. And that happens a lot with radio because, you know, the telephone, back in the day, that was the way that, you know, you got to know each other. Eventually, uh, this person, I said, hey, Ted, what do you do? I said, you go to school? He goes, kind of. I said, kind of. Make, uh, I always say, make a long story short. I'm making my long, long story not quite as long. He goes, I'm in the hospital. He says, I'm, uh, I'm 14 years old. Oh, no. I said, but we talk at 3 o'clock in the morning. He goes, I can't leave. He was at the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. His name, Ted DeVita. He had a, a condition called aplastic anemia. So he was in a, what is called a laminar airflow room. He lived in a bubble. He couldn't leave the bubble. So he was just in a, a plastic room. Unlike some of these things you're seeing today where they, you know, because of how infectious something is, you know, they're you know, even the, the doctors, they're all like, mm-hmm. like in fields or whatever. Well, that was his room. It was a special room wow. called a laminar airflow room. Laminar they could uh, reach in to give him food and stuff. Uh, it would be like a, a little entryway inside the plastic. And somebody wore gloves and they were able to actually, that would, so it's sounding almost like what we're going through today. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, and I'm not going to go into explaining the plastic anemia, but um, the bottom line is he couldn't, if he got a germ, he would die. Not bad, eh? Yeah. Jeez. Back in the day, and uh, you want to oh, look yeah. this up too, there's a movie called Boy in a Plastic Bubble uh, starring John Travolta. That was based on the life of this young man, Ted DeVita. No kidding. The movie was very, some of it was accurate, but most of it, the, the parents never watched it. They, they didn't want to. They didn't want it. I can imagine. Yeah. There was one scene in there where John Travolta in the bubble in a, basically a space suit, mm-hmm. like our astronauts wear, going to a concert. Well, that was based on me. Uh, he left the hospital, at least the one time that I know, with his father, who was the director of the Cancer Institute. Now, what are they thought? He's the director of the Cancer Institute. His son gets this incurable disease. We, I had a van back then. I go to the hospital, I pick him up, him and his father. A, back then I was a crazy driver. I'm not much better. We get there uh, and he's, this is, when I'm opening the doors, we got special entrance into what was called the Capitol Center back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring him out in a spacesuit. The funny thing is, we got to sit in a special suite, but he didn't get as many stares as I thought he would. You know, and that's why he didn't want to go out. Who wants to be stared at? You know. Yeah. So we go up there, and it was Leonard Skinner who was performing. In the middle of the set, they stopped to recognize Ted DeVita. So it was a wonderful night. 
take him and his father back to the Cancer Institute. Uh, that's the story that sticks out the most and always will. Yeah. There are other ones, uh, at least eight to nine suicides or attempted or thought about yeah. suicides that I was able to intervene with. Wow. You know, and yeah. that's only the times that people revealed that to me. Right. You have a responsibility when you're in, in the, the limelight or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can affect people's lives by just a smile. Right. You know, you go out, you know, you're, you're ticked off because you can barely go out. Trust me, when you go to the store or whatever, even if you're wearing a mask, smile. Sometimes that will make somebody's day something so simple in life. It could be me doing a dedication. Snoop Dogg has two children because of listening to my music. Wow. Uh, you don't know what people are doing because radio uh, was just me looking at a blank wall and a microphone. But I understood from the beginning because I saw how other people did it and they weren't responsible to who they were and to the public that bothered me. I said, I'll never be that way. You know, I want to my nature is to care anyway. But, uh, there's so many special stories. You know, I should write a book. 100%. We're writing a book. Uh, and you can come back on here when it's done and we'll uh, plug it some more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, That's sweet. It yeah, so it talks about a little of the things that we talked about, nice. but more in depth uh, stories that people uh, tell me. Uh, I remember a guy called me and said, hey, I'm a lawyer because of you. I went to Howard University. I couldn't study, but somehow through your music, it, it, it put me to where I am today. And that's how you affect people, whether you're you, Snoop Dogg, anybody. Yeah. There are a lot of ways that you affect people, and you can do it in a very positive way. Wow. And sometimes it's maybe a nod, an acknowledgement. Jeez. So simple, just being yourself, really. Well, there's, there's the key to life. Be yourself. Just be yourself. Eh? So easy, yet yeah, cause you, the execution. Only you can be you. I can't be you. I could never be right. you. And you never can be me. That's because right. we're all unique and all have unique talents. Even if the homeless person down the street, start talking to them. Do me a favor. Start talking to some of these people. Some of them have amazing, brilliant stories and brilliant talents. But, you know, circumstances put them into a situation that are unfavorable. Right. Wow. Yeah, look, look it up here. What else you got in there? So, and uh, I know we'll touch on the uh, easy story later. You said you had one yeah. that uh, we'll get back to. But so, Kyan actually wanted me to ask you this, but um, I'm really intrigued too. What was the first ever song you remember listening to in your life? This will be the answer that nobody will provide but me. None. My mom did not listen to music. My dad did not, not listen to music. There was no music in my house. Therefore, all those formative years, yeah, I heard radio and everything, mm -hmm. but nothing stood out because it wasn't part of the, you know, a lot of these rappers that we're talking about, and I speak more about them because they're the mm -hmm. ones I'm associated with. They know their music through their parents, and through their parents, right. through their parents. My parents, plus 
when I was uh, conceived of uh, in my mom and dad's 40s. Mm -hmm. Therefore, by the time I arrived on the scene, hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, I only had one grandmother. I never met my, uh, that was it, my mom's mother. Uh, My dad died when I was seven, so I had not even a picture of my dad. My formative years, the years where you learn about music and you learn about other things in life, I didn't have that opportunity. So I really don't have a song that goes like, oh, wow. Right. And just opened up that pathway for you. It 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 opened up the path. And then I realized I liked the the slow or modern tempo songs I could Mm -hmm. sing along with compared to the up-tempo songs. Like Rhythm and Gangster. Yeah. Yeah. Is there? Oh, that's awesome. So how would you describe Rhythm and Gangster then? Because that seems like a pretty unique uh, mix. Because isn't that what uh, Cadillac music is best described as? You'd say. uh, Oh, is that that what they say on on the app, Rhythm and Gangster? Yeah, I was looking through it. I was like, oh, this is intriguing. I kind of want to ask what his take on uh, Rhythm and Gangster is. It's just a name. It's uh, it's just because West Coast music back then, the Snoop days, it was gangster music. Keep in mind, record labels weren't selling that music. People were buying it out of the trunk. Snoop, all these guys, where do they, where? How did they make their money? They sold their their wares, open the trunk. There you go. What do you want? Well, at some point, corporate America said. They're making all this money. Why can't we make this money? All the music they denied and ignored. They started to embrace. Hey, Snoop, come on over here. Then you started getting the record labels signing these people. Mm-hmm. So rhythm and gangster, because you know back then this it was gangster music. That was the the, the theme of the music. And what was gangster music? What were these themes? To me, it's a history lesson. What were they rapping about? They were rapping about what they know, how they live. If you look deep into those songs, you know, whether it's regulated or whatever, you watch movies, you see this. That's, that was part of their life. They're singing about what they know and what they see and what they hear. It was a form of expression. Yeah, that's why if you write a song, nobody can sing it as good as you because it's you. You brought that out. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. back then, then later on, you started getting that other people go, hey, uh, we're copycats. Uh, let me talk about my lifestyle. Even though they might have lived in a, uh, an affluent neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to start rapping, but they're just rapping about what they see about other people or what they see on TV or in movies. Uh, but back then, whether it was Compton or Long Beach, these were everyday struggles they were talking about. So it's really like history lesson, right. that music. Not to say it isn't today, but still talk about the same thing. They just mumble and they can't understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. True. I just, made a com- I just made a commentary on music. <laughs> uh, so anyway, to answer your question, it's just 90s rap, mm-hmm. whether it's big. Uh, and Snoop Dogg is him, uh, another friend of mine, DJ Quick. They're uh, incredibly ingenious. They know music of all genres. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, on uh, Cadillac Music, Snoop will play Frank Sinatra. Never play Too Short. You wow. don't know what's coming up. That's wow, the beauty of it. Yeah. It's always yeah. a surprise. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I don't know who came up with that name for, uh, or that moniker or logo or a slogan. A gangsta. I forgot it even said that. And I don't talk about that. I said I say I play slow jams, but I never I never talk about the year of the song. Let's say I'm playing something I don't even know what year it was. I don't care. It'd be like somebody saying to me, Hey, that guy that interviewed you, hey, hey he's a pretty good interviewer. What's his name? I said, I, I, I think it's Glenn. And, and then go like, uh, uh, how old is he? Uh, what difference does that make? Uh, it, make it makes no, no difference, difference at all. Eh? You know, it's ah, what you bring to the it what brings you to the table and you bring you bring whatever you got to the table. Your age has nothing to do with it. Wow! You know, it's what you've accumulated over the years. You can know more. There might be some nine-year-olds that'll know more than I'll ever know. That's that's a that's a fact. You know, that's because of the internet. That's not your fault. That's, yeah. a, that's an internet. <laughs> Blame thing. it on the internet. Yeah, say, go ahead. Blame it on the internet. That's uh, uh, and I never go on the radio and say, "Hey, this song came out in 1975," because then. You're dating it. It's like me saying, how old you are, how old I am. Oh, yeah. It's no difference. But never, never identify a year. You know who identifies it? The person listening. Because they'll remember it. Let's right. say I played uh, Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. People will go all the way back to the 70s. Go, oh, man, I got my first kiss. I got yeah. my first you-know-what uh, during that. But then there might be somebody listening to it today, hearing it for the first time. And I defy them. To even say if that's 60s, 70s, 80s, they won't know and, uh, and probably they won't care. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't like things being put into a box or labeled. Interesting. It is what it is. It is what it is. Wow. wow. That's that's pretty insightful. Wow. Never thought of it like that. Like it is what you bring to the table, not how many years you've been doing whatever for. It's just, right. Wow. How good you, you could are accomplish more in a year than some people put in. 10 years based on your uh, intensity and uh, uh, you know, the amount of time you put in during that time. Uh, mm. So speaking of accomplishments, um, how did it feel when you uh, received a day in your honor in San Diego? I was a big surprise by the way. Uh, Keith O'Derry uh, has a company called upfront productions. A little backstory. Uh, he would do pieces for Fox News back in the day, called Straight from the Streets. And it would be a segment that was attached to the morning news and the nighttime news. And it was just like in-depth neighborhood stuff. You know, not Beverly Hills, not TMZ crap, but this (laughs) Compton and Long Beach and Pomona and these kind of stories that were kind of uh, heartfelt and heartwarming. So Keith O'Derry, did a piece on me, and then he had me uh, talking about um, Snoop. Uh, it was such a, uh, a great series, and they, they don't do it now. You know, the news doesn't want to focus too much on positive. But anyways, so uh, Keith and Derek did a, a story. What was the, the, actually the question? The question because I, I might have gone off. Oh, keep going. Yeah, I was just curious how it felt for you uh, in that experience. Oh, the San Diego. Yes. Yeah. So Keith O'Derry 
said he was going to interview the mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, mm -hmm. about the new stadium that they were opening to build five years ago. He said, would you help me, Kevin, because I just have my equipment. Would you go with me? I said, okay, I'll go with you. So he picks me up. I was living in San Diego. He was up here in L.A. We get to the courthouse. I'm just standing there, and he's got the camera, and I go, okay. The mayor walks. We're in his office. Mayor walks in. He goes, hey, Kevin. I go, hey, mayor. I didn't know. I was blindsided. No kidding. Keith Derrick had set this up for me to get this award Wow! from the city of San Diego. That's incredible. And, and uh, so it became uh, Kevin Slogan James or they, yeah, in uh, San Diego. Then I got the, a similar award in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. But to be acknowledged, especially radio, that's not something usually you get awards for. Yeah, it's you know? pretty unique. Yeah. So, and especially San Diego, which was only a, a smidgen of time in my radio co career compared to D.C. and L.A. Yeah. But that, uh, that, that Keith work in and the surprise yeah. but the sad part of that so I come from the mayor's office it was so funny he goes hey Kevin I gotta cut this a little bit short Are you okay with that I go you're the freaking mayor yeah yeah cut short he, says, you want. he says I have a meeting with the governor <laughs> so I said I think you better see him <laughs> I think we're done anyway he was so great that's crazy. Uh, so we leave, Keith and I, we go to the radio station. The, the uh, Magic 92.5. And I was proud. I had this big old plaque and everything. I walked around and nobody cared. They went, oh, well, they slept it off like it was nothing. And I felt bad for uh, Keith Derek, who spent a lot of time making this happen, shooting all this footage. And they blew both of us off like we didn't even exist. I said, this is your, your radio station being advertised uh, on this plaque and they're going to be on the news and all that. They completely ignored me and that. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for my career in San Diego. Uh, what their motive behind that was, uh, I have no idea. And I had, uh, like I said, uh, I felt very bad for Kilo Derry. Went through all that, but yeah. we're fine out of it because uh, yeah. he and I are very good friends. He does wonderful oh, awesome. stuff up front in productions, and mm -hmm. he's I'm bringing him up for a reason, not just because he's a friend. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, he would come to the radio studios to film, and people were like, What are you doing here? He goes, I, I like to get some footage. He goes, They go, This is radio, who cares? It's radio, people don't see us. But he was brilliant because now people are fighting for that footage. He has Biggie and all, everybody you name, he's got the footage. Wow. That's because he went into the radio stations when they came. Because every uh, recording artist goes to a radio station at some yeah. point to get their, their music played. Wow. So they go in and just kind of document as it, as it happens. So that's what he did, even though Genius. he was allowed to do it. But the station management would go like, Mm -hmm. who, cares, who cares about that? But he was on to something. Wow. No kidding. Yeah, he was. Jeez. Wow. That's really like, that's really smart of him to do to document that process. Now people are 
wanting to see what that footage was like, even though, like you said, recording artists go in radios all the time, you just would hear them and then never actually get to witness it. Right. Because back then we didn't really, uh, those days didn't have, uh, the internet was around, but not to the, to the way it is today. You know, it was just like a supplement to what you did. Right. Right. Uh, and, uh, for him to keep all that for him, and he has interviews with everybody. I mean, everybody. Man. Well, uh, that's incredible. But that, that's my goal. Interviews with everybody. I just want to learn from people. So, <laughs> Well, this is good. I like, I like, see, I like how you're doing this. And I like the fact that uh, this was not pre-programmed. Yeah, absolutely. Where I knew what questions were coming up because yes. this is more like a real conversation. Mm -hmm. And I've been uh, told a few times, and I think the, the episodes of the podcast that I've done that have been super successful in terms of the conversation flow, similar to this one, um, are with people who I don't know beforehand. Like I don't, I'm not friends with them directly. And then I get to meet them in the process of making the show happen. And then we do the episode and I'm like, wow, this is, this is going well. This is fun. Not much different than meeting somebody, let's say you're anywhere out mm -hmm. and you meet somebody and all of a sudden you start a conversation and then something they say sparks something for you to say. Mm -hmm. And it's all real and genuine. Yeah. And that's why, uh, right. You're good at what you do. You, uh, Thank you. Um, you have a good brain, my friend. Thank you, sir. That means so much coming to you. I can't even express that. It wow. also makes you feel more comfortable because we're having a real <laughs> live conversation. Yes. And you don't have to worry and look down at your pad and go, uh-oh, I missed a question. And I'm waiting yeah. for it. And I got my pad and go like, hey, what happened to that question? That doesn't exist. No, True. Right. It's less of like a journalistic conversation and more or question interrogation. It's more free flowing. And that's what I think draws me to doing these episodes, especially with people like yourself who are successful in their own right, doing their own thing. And then I get to meet you through this platform, which if I didn't have it, there'd be no other way. Nothing. So it's fantastic. But so to close, do you have any piece of advice for young adults, tips or tools, something? that's stuck with you that uh, you feel if everyone did and executed on that could benefit them in the long run. Uh, some things stick out of my life. I went to church one day with a, a girlfriend at the time. And for some reason that particular day, the words of the preacher stuck in my mind. He said, it's easy to make friends. Try making friends of an enemy. I never thought about that. And then there were some people at work that weren't the most pleasant. And I said, I'm going to try this out. These are people that I didn't care about me, and I, at that time, really didn't care about them. So I threw out a little olive branch. It worked every time. Wow. So that, that little nugget, try that. Somebody that you really don't care about, out of the clear blue, just say, hey, I'm going to see how you're doing. Try that today. You got anybody on that list? That list? Yeah, I got a few people. Try to yeah, keep everybody call. in the positive light. Yeah. Yeah, call one of them today. Just, hey. Call. I want to make call. No, wow. don't okay. text. Because anybody. Interesting. I could, I could get a text right now, right? Mm -hmm. And it says you. It might not be you. It might be True. somebody on your phone. But now I know it's you because I see you and I hear you. Nice. 
call him, even though he won't see unless you put him on FaceTime. Yeah. Just say, hey, I, I just, in regular times, I want to know how you're doing, but during these times, I, want to, I just want to see how you're doing. Right. See how that goes. Get back to me on that. I will. I will definitely. Not that I even thought about that, sure. talking about this, but I, it's something that, that impressed me. Well, just and the other advice that. is uh, be the best you you can be. Nobody can be you. We talked about that already. Yes. Nobody can That's be incredible. you. Nobody can be me. Nobody can be that person. Be you. Be you. And Don't I always say I'm a real person playing real music for real people. Nice. Real recognizes real. When you're real, that other person or animal or whatever child, they know sincerity. Sincerity? Mm -hmm. Did I say it right? Sincerity? They know that. You instinctively yeah. know that and feel that. So when you're real, that just brings in everybody. Wow. I like that a lot. And What's yeah. the name of your show? What's the uh, name of the show? So the name of the show is the Life After High School podcast. Um, oh, that's why I said on my phone, Life After High School podcast. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just do this kind of sparked the idea one day about I wanted to go down a route of getting advice through perspective stories, tips and tools for young adults, pretty broad, but also focused at the same time. And I look at it not as an excuse to reach out and talk to everybody I possibly can. But uh, pretty much like I also like I worked in a few summer camps and stuff and I've done a lot of traveling where the people I go with, I would sit down like late at night, just at a coffee shop or at a bar somewhere and just like patios anywhere and just start talking to people for hours and making those connections that I would have not been able to had I sat down with them for as long as I did. And we just exchanged conversations, pieces of advice back and forth. And I felt the only way that I could get away with doing that would be having a podcast itself. And since I'm not, I'm not on the radio, unfortunately, I think one day that'd be a really cool thing to do just to try it out, give it a bit of personality um, would be really cool. But I think with the show, this is pretty much the only platform that I'm able to go reach out to people, have them on, talk to them, learn from them. And if some person watching this or listening to this gets any bit of information through the stories that you said, that's a win for both of us. And I hope that's kind of the goal or that's the also, goal of what I'm trying to bring. Think about this. There are people watching this. By the way, am I am I in this story, or are you you going to cut me out? <laughs> no, you'll be in it for sure. You're the best part. <laughs> okay, uh, somebody's going to watch this and go, "Hey, I got this uh, revamping our uh, TV station. Mm -hmm. We want to do a next. This is exposure. You're out there, and you're doing a really, really good job. Somebody on this end watching is going to say, "This young man." Of real potential. I'm going to get a hold of him. He's going to do my show. Opportunity is mm -hmm. one of the old sayings of all time. Luck is when preparation mm -hmm. and opportunity meet each other. I love it. I love that. You have preparation. You've prepared, not only for this episode, even though it's not scripted, mm -hmm. you re prepared yourself mentally, whatever, and all the physical yes. part. Of oh, it. yeah. Yeah. And, uh, opportunity you don't know when it's going to happen but when it happens boom you're going to be right there right. so a lot of people have opportunities 
It just, I got to LA. I knew my voiceover coach, zero people. I knew zero people, friend, anything. When I came here, I end up on the radio. Yeah. I end up uh, being a part of LA culture. When I came here with, like I said, zero introduction. Mm-hmm. And I didn't come here to do radio. I came here to do voiceover. Um, so things happen. You know, it might be the, this episode, the next episode, somebody's going like, mm-hmm. I want this guy on my team. Nice. You're being seen. You're being heard. That's it. And until it. when that opportunity arises, you'll be ready. Man, I believe it. I definitely believe it. It's a, it's a battle, but it's a winning one for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I really enjoyed it. Even though it's my day off, I mean, you're paying me exorbitant money. I, I, oh, I should be blessed. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, man. Oh, that's awesome, though. Yeah. So first and foremost, I really appreciate your time. I can't express that enough. Uh, everything you've done for the Slow Jams community. And uh, first, last thing I want to say, um, your voice is incredible for radio. Like, it's that perfect sounding tone. And I'm like, oh, it's catchy. Thank you. It's easy to listen to. Yeah, it's hard for me. I, you know, I do all these drops and stuff. Hmm. I hate listening to me. But that's, maybe you don't like watching yourself, you know, because you're going to be too critical. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. I've gotten better, but it's it's not great. Yeah, you could go, yeah, oh, I forgot to shave. I forgot this, whatever. You know what I'm saying? We're harder on ourselves, right. and it's hard for me. And I know my voice is distinct and different and mm-hmm. uh, crazy. But uh, it's got me to where I'm at, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, and, thank well, you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. It's the Life After High School podcast.